This is a recording of Giving the Book of Ether Its Proper Due by Brant Gardner, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint faith and scholarship, read by Brant Gardner. In his introduction to this collection of essays, Daniel Belknap notes that the Book of Mormon Academy, established in 2013 at Brigham Young University, was a consortium of religious education faculty created to foster critical thinking about the Book of Mormon and to make their academic, theological, and pedagogical research available to the wider public. The current volume, the second from the Book of Mormon Academy, follows the general conceptual structure of the first, where essays are grouped according to the perspectives of the various authors used while approaching this text. This is an important formula because it reminds the reader of the breadth and depth with which the Book of Mormon deserves to be studied and understood. In particular, however, I must point out that the subject matter of this volume is just as important as the scope of the essays. Although Ether forms a critical sub-theme to Mormon's apologetic explanation of the Nephite demise, it is less often the subject of study. Frank F. Judd Jr. notes at the beginning of his chapter, resources for the study of the book of Ether are relatively few in number, especially when compared with resources for the study of the rest of the Book of Mormon, page 157. This volume's multifaceted approach is extremely welcomed and needed. In the interest of full disclosure, I was a pre-publication reviewer for the volume. I liked it then, and I like it now. Now, however, I can give appropriate credit to the authors in ways in which they were previously concealed from me. This means I can finally begin to incorporate these various insights into my own understanding of the Book of Mormon and make sure that appropriate credit is given these excellent scholars. Illuminating the Jaredite records is broken into four topical sections. One, cultural historical lenses, identity and praxis in the Jaredite record. Two, narratological lenses, Moroni and the Jaredite record. Three, reception historical lenses, women and the Jaredite record in antiquity and modernity. And four, pedagogical lenses, teaching the Jaredite record. I comment on each chapter in each part of the volume. The Cultural Historical Lenses, Identity and Praxis in the Jaredite Record, first article. They are of ancient date, Jaredite traditions, and the politics of Gadianton descent, Daniel L. Belknap. I asserted earlier that the Jaredite Record played an important role in Mormon's apologetic for the Nephite demise. Belknap's article is an important explanation of one of the locations of that influence. It might seem unusual that the lead article in a volume about the Book of Ether concentrates on the Gadianton robbers, who are exclusively part of Mormon's text. Belknap understands that the Jaredite secret combinations are simply the earlier embodiment of the same secret combinations from his day. Thus, one of the tasks of the article is to establish how the Gadianton presence is connected to the more ancient secret combinations. Divination as Translation, The Function of Sacred Stones in Ancient Mesopotamia and the Book of Ether, Carrie Hall. The earliest mention of the interpreters in time, though not in the Book of Mormon narrative, is with the Jaredites. And behold, these two stones will I give unto thee, and ye shall seal them up also with the things which ye shall write. For behold, the language which ye shall write I have confounded. Wherefore, I will cause in my own due time that these stones shall magnify to the eyes of men, these things which ye shall write, Ether 3, 23-24. Thus, the earliest mention of the two stones, later known as the interpreters, 
was in the context of allowing a later generation to understand writing in a language that future generations did not understand. Hull is interested in that connection between the stones and the translation, a connection we see clearly when Mosiah, son of Benjamin, translates the Jaredite record using those very two stones, Mosiah 28 and 13. Of course, this has implications for Joseph Smith's translation of the Book of Mormon using stones as an interpretive tool. Hall traces the Jaredites to a general Mesopotamian origin and examines a history of shining stones and stones as divination tools. All of this is a prelude to the important discussion of the relationship between divination and translation, a discussion I urge students of the Book of Mormon to read closely. Upon Mount Shelem, the liminal experience of the brother of Jared, Charles Swift. A liminal experience is one in which the person stands in a process of change and transformation. It might be described as standing before a door, then entering into something quite different from what was on the first side. Swift says of the brother of Jared, Though we often speak of the vision of the brother of Jared, what occurred was much more than a single vision. His experience atop Mount Shelem comprised multiple visions, a dialogue with the Lord, a personal ministration by the Lord, and a personal transformation in which he grew from a man of faith in the Lord into a man of great faith and eventually into a man with great knowledge of the Lord. From this beginning, Swift details the process and stages of the great experience the brother of Jared had with the Lord on Mount Shalem. Narratological Lenses, Moroni and the Jaredite Record Seeing Moroni and the Book of Ether through a study of narrative time, Amy Easton Flake. Easton Flake's chapter begins with a shift from looking at the text of the Book of Ether in its historical context to a concentration on the nature of the text itself. Easton Flake appropriately begins with a definition of narrative time, contrasting it with objective time, which is the way we experience time in a continuous flow, and story time, which refers to the passage of time within the story. Moroni's rendition of the Book of Ether contains stories, and therefore story time, but it also contains Moroni's editorial insertions, insertions that are outside of the story time. Since Moroni's insertions account for 25% of the text, it makes Moroni arguably the most prominent person in the Book of Ether, page 133. She concludes, what a close study of narrative time in the Book of Ether makes clear is how Moroni, and possibly Ether and Mosiah as well, constantly guides readers' interpretations of the text. Because my personal studies have led me to a greater investigation of Mormon and Moroni as writers, I found this an exceptionally interesting and important essay. Moroni's Six Commentaries in the Book of Ether, Frank F. Judge, Jr. Eastern Flake, in her discussion of the Book of Ether, notes that Moroni's insertion accounts for 25% of the text. Judd picks up the task of examining those insertions themselves. He examines each of the lengthy insertions and notes how they relate to the text of the Book of Mormon, as Moroni's father, Mormon, wrote it. He finds that Moroni's six commentaries in the Book of Ether give readers key insights into the heart of the author. This great man was concerned about many things, such as his personal mission, his own people, his future readers of the Book of Mormon. The inserted commentaries allow modern readers to get a better picture of how an ancient prophet used written texts about the past to inform his present and demonstrate his hopes for the future. 
Power in the Book of Ether, Jared Ludlow. Our modern perceptions of power tend to be identified in political terms, and Ludlow understands that political power is but one type. Ludlow sees a contrast between the power represented in the brother of Jared's experience with the Lord and the ultimate political conflicts and ultimate demise of the Jaredite nation. Linking those two are the times when political survival of the Jaredites was enhanced by their obedience to the prophets who came along with them. Thus, Ludlow juxtaposes a righteous power manifested through the prophets of the Lord with the unrighteous power of the secret combinations instigated and encouraged by Satan. He concludes, a primary message found throughout the Book of Mormon is the need for every person to choose between two ways, God or Satan. Next section, Reception Historical Lenses, Women and the Jaredite Record in Antiquity and Modernity. Jaredite's Two Daughters, Joseph M. Spencer. A very modern problem underlies Spencer's selection of topic and approach. Quote, Readers lament the paucity of female characters in the Book of Mormon. The volume is largely about men, with women appearing only in the margins of the story, often in unseemly ways. End quote, page 203. Spencer proposes a careful reading to flesh out the textual skeleton of women in the Book of Ether. After an examination of where women appear according to the original chapters of Ether, Spencer takes a very close look at the daughter of Jared in Ether 8. He posits a textual tension in what may be seen as two parts of the story. The secret combination story, associated with the daughter of Jared in the dancing woman section. And he suggests that this might be evidence of a very early combination of stories, two different daughters conflated into one current redaction, and probably the original as it existed on the plate of ether. This is a complex argument and a type of analysis of potential sources that we seldom see in discussions of any book in the Book of Mormon. It is a chapter that requires close reading itself. Whence the Daughter of Jared, Text and Context, Nicholas J. Frederick. Frederick has done a lot of work on intertextuality between the Book of Mormon and the Bible, and it's therefore unsurprising that he would look at the story of the daughter of Jared in the book of Ether against what may have been assumed to be the clear biblical model found in the story of Salome, myself included, as he points out. I heard Frederick present an early version of this paper at a conference, and I've been eagerly awaiting its appearance in print. Through a very careful analysis of the two stories, Frederick notes that the superficial and obvious similarities can obscure important, indeed critical, differences between the two stories. This is an important chapter that, in Frederick's words, can remove the short-sighted move of viewing Ether 8 as merely a recapitulation of the Salome story. Next section, Pedagogical Lenses, Teaching the Jaredite Record. Of Captivity and Kingdoms Helping Students Find a Place in the Book of Ether, Ryan Sharp. The final section of this collection of essays moves from historical and textual to the pedagogical. The two essays in this section read the Book of Ether with an eye to the way the book can speak to its modern readers. Sharp notes, teachers of the Book of Mormon delight in outlining Jaredite's journey and using that text to guide students on their own metaphorical journey from spiritual Babel to a promised land. Sharp suggests 
that while the early part of the book of Ether is easy to apply, the second half, which relentlessly describes political intrigue, dysfunction, and war, is much more difficult to use as a positive metaphor for a student's life. What Sharp suggests is that teachers use Moroni as their guide. Where Moroni left his sources as a terse iteration of events, he followed with an inserted homily that summarizes this troubling history and, by so doing, underscores the overarching narrative of seeking, obtaining, losing, and then regaining the kingdom, end quote. Sharp points out that the ways in which one might see Moroni's life paralleled in the Jaredite story. Sharp concludes, quote, one of the responsibilities of teachers to help students remember that individuals in the scriptures are real people who battled real issues. Part of training students to read the Book of Mormon exegetically is helping them understand that the scriptural author, in this case Moroni, is writing in the context of his own struggles and anxieties, end quote. If students can learn to see the writers in their most human moments, those moments can have greater meaning and application to the very human trials of the modern world. The Jaredite journey, a symbolic reflection of our own journey along the covenant path. Tyler J. Griffin. Where Sharp concentrated on the more neglected second half of the book of Jared, Griffin proposes to use the first part, the journey, to establish a model for modern personal journeys. He notes many parallels between the Jaredite and the Lehite journeys from the land of their origin to a new land of promise. Parallels which suggest that the Lord seems to be invoking the law of witnesses by having Moroni include this abridgment in the record. That is a legitimate suggestion, and perhaps one too easily overlooked. As is evident throughout Belknap's discussion in the first essay in this collection, Mormon's use of the plates of Jared focused heavily on the latter half. While Belknap does not say so explicitly, there is a remarkable absence in Mormon's writing that emphasize either the Jaredite journey or, in particular, the brother of Jared's experience. Griffin elaborates the elements of the Jaredite journey with an eye to seeing in them a guide for modern journeys toward our ultimate spiritual goals. He concludes, quote, Thanks to Moroni acting as our chronological intercessor, we can learn from the relevance of these people's lives and the legacies as we take our turn journeying over the land, building our symbolic barges and launching into the deep opportunities that await us today. End quote. Conclusion. Illuminating the Jaredite records begins to expand our understanding of a book in the Book of Mormon to which too little attention has been paid. The breadth of the essay strongly suggests rich veins to mine, even in this relatively small and terse book. Those veins include not only the Jaredites themselves, but also Moroni and, even by extension, modern readers. I enjoyed the essays when I reviewed the book before its publication, but the multiple issues surrounding publication have meant that a long time has passed between my early view and the anticipated arrival of the publication. As I read it again for this review, I found even more depth that I had missed on my earlier reading. I highly recommend this volume and recommend that a reader return to it more than once to truly gain its full impact. This has been a recording of Giving the Book of Ether its Proper Due by Brant Gardner, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 44, 2021. Read by Brant Gardner. This audio recording is a is copyrighted under the Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. 
A printed version of this and many other articles can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.